0: Wake up every morning, and after I work out, I get something to eat. Breakfast is important, you know. Uh, And I always have a cup of Boyer's Coffee next to me. Make it with the K-Cups at home. In fact, earlier today, I did a little shopping at boyerscoffee.com. And uh, I have a new Sumatra flavor that I'm going to check out. And I have my uh, favorite Sumatra K-Cup that I always uh, get. And, of course, there's the uh, the oldie but goodie Aspen Gold, which I typically order as well. Made a couple clicks, and guess what? Within 48 hours, it's going to be at my front door, and I'll be all set for uh, the next few weeks when it comes to coffee. Boyer's Coffee, they've been brewed in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. I have at least one cup every single day. I have it brought to me at the ballpark, as I've told you many times, at Coors Field, because you can get it from the uh, Boyer's Cafe on the club level at Coors Field as well. They make great coffee. They're a local company, and um, it's It's simply terrific, and you're going to feel even better about it, not only because it tastes good, but that you're part of a a local company that's done so exceptionally well over the last 50-plus years, closing in on 60 years in our little section of the world. It's BoyersCoffee.com. Every week, I tell you about Steel Products, S-T-I-H-L, and you can uh, find all of the wonderful products from Steel, again, S-T-I-H-L, at SteelUSA.com or SteelDealers.com, more than 10,000 around the country. This is a global company, and when it comes to improving your yard improving your neighborhood, you got to get steel products, whether it's chainsaws and you live out in the wilderness or you like to go camping. They have they have the handheld chainsaws that, that are perfect when you're camping and have to, uh, you know, cut up a, a small log, that sort of thing. To blowers, this time of year in the fall, you want to blow out the garage, you want to get it ready for the winter, or it's the leaves naturally that have accumulated. They have all kinds of blowers, gas, electric, and battery-operated, love the battery-operated products. They have trimmers. This time of year, all times of year, you can use your trimmers. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and list every product they have because they have hundreds and hundreds from the small job to the biggest of jobs. Just go check out what they have at your ne- nearest steel dealer or just go online at steeldealers.com or Steel USA. Again, it's spelled S-T-I-H-L.
1: This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. That was as big a home run, as big of an event that the city has seen in in the sports world in a long time.
0: Philadelphia Phillies broadcaster. Tom McCarthy on that incredible Bryce Harper
1: home run. It's up there as one of the brightest moments that I've ever seen in Philadelphia.
0: Also talking about the upcoming World Series and some advice for you up-and-coming broadcasters.
1: Be yourself, because you can't be Drew Goodman, you can't be Tom McCarthy, you can't be Harry Callis. You have to be yourself, because you cannot go on the air for three and a half hours and be somebody that you're not.
0: Subscribe to The Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is The Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, everybody. A big welcome in to our little program, The Drew Goodman Podcast. This is show number 173. And got a great guest for you coming up in a little bit, my buddy Tom McCarthy. Uh, Tom has been the longtime television voice of the Philadelphia Phillies, and you probably know him nationally because he does a lot of work for CBS, uh, NFL, um, March Madness, does some college football, Uh, also terrific talent, terrific guy, and I thought he'd be perfect uh, given the fact that in the baseball world, Uh, Maybe the biggest surprise has been the play of the Philadelphia Phillies. And as we take this, they're getting ready to uh, take on the Houston Astros in the World Series. I think a lot of people had Houston getting there out of the American League. They certainly were the favorite. Uh, In the National League, if you seeded them, which they did, Philly was six. Five teams are gone, and Philadelphia wins the pennant in the National League. It's a great story, and we'll get into uh, some of those uh, storylines uh, with with Tom McCarthy in a little bit, I think you're going to really uh, enjoy that conversation. Speaking of which, since uh, I, I went baseball initially, Bryce Harper and that home run he hit in the eighth inning to take a one run deficit and turn it into a one run advantage, and ultimately that was the final score, four to three, Philadelphia uh, eliminating the San Diego Padres, who were also a good story this year. Uh, and congrats to the Padres, because uh, at times it looked like they weren't even going to make the postseason after all of those moves they made and kind of overcoming the off-the-field distraction that was Fernando Tatis Jr. again. And yet they achieved, and they achieved at a high level. Certainly they fell short of their own goal of, of making it to the World Series and ultimately winning it, but they had a good season. But congrats to uh, Philadelphia. But I want to go Bryce Harper here for a moment. Think about this. We're going to talk about this with Tom McCarthy. I equate Bryce Harper to LeBron James and and here's why I'm going there. Both were on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years of age. It's almost grossly unfair to a kid, they're a true kid. I know in college, you know, coaches love to talk about my kids. But in yeah, they're kids. But you know what? They're 21, 22, sometimes 23, even older than that in some circumstances. They're young men. They truly are young men. In the case of a 16-year-old, to be placed on the cover of the most iconic sports magazine going, and especially going back to when they were on the cover, I mean, that was the 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 Holy Bible of sports, Sports Illustrated, at 16, I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? And to fast forward a decade plus, in the case of LeBron James, a couple of decades, and in the case of Bryce Harper, close to 15 years now, they've lived up to, and if possible, exceeded... The expectations. Can you imagine the enormous pressure? I think all athletes feel pressure at one level or another. But you go to the professional ranks, and if you're a first round pick, you're going to feel the pressure. Heck, if you're a, if you're a anybody worth anything's going to feel pressure. That that comes from caring. You know, when the butterflies in, in your stomach always tell kids that that just tells you your body telling you this is important to you. Well, with Bryce Harper and LeBron James, the expectations were truly otherworldly. And if they had melted and never really amounted to anywhere close to what Sports Illustrated was suggesting, LeBron James going to be the greatest ever, Bryce Harper hitting 500-foot 500 home, 500 home runs as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old throwing 95 miles an hour, you could understand it. Look at what happened with Todd Marinovich, who from birth was trained by his dad, Marv Marinovich, to be, you know, the greatest quarterback ever. And ultimately, you know what? He went to a major college. He was a first round pick, but we we know how that played out. So the fact that Bryce Harper has been a two-time MVP, has been a great postseason performer, and is on a Hall of Fame track—LeBron James already— we know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to go down as one of the three or four best players ever. The fact that they've lived up to that, pretty crazy remarkable. All right, more on uh, on Bryce Harper when we uh, bring in Tommy Mack uh, a little bit uh, down the road. I want to segue um, back to football for a moment or to football for a moment. Bronco fans continue to be upset. Broncos are in London. Russell Wilson may or may not play, maybe better just to keep him out for another week. And then with the bye week, he gets uh, basically a month off. I was looking at some of his numbers, you know, and some some people said, well, there was a drop-off last year. He missed three games. And I was looking at his numbers and, you know, from a quarterback rating standpoint, from a touchdown produce standpoint, from a completion percentage standpoint, from an average yards per attempt standpoint. Last year was a solid year. It wasn't his best year. It was far from his poorest year statistically. Pretty good year if you look at a lot of those metrics. And this year, we know it's it's not been anything close to that. The, the only area last year that seemed to be a considerable drop off is he didn't run the football much. And he was always dangerous to tuck it down and, and run with the ball. We see older quarterbacks that are still pretty mobile. I don't know why Russell Wilson has not performed well. I do know this much. At some point in time, and it's happened already as we know, the finger gets pointed in several fingers now at Nathaniel Hackett. He's an offensive guy. He came in with um, great credentials, and it's not working. It's not working, and and you can't avoid that. And I will say this, and I've said this before on previous podcasts, I believe that the head coach in football, and and football coaches by and large, can have a greater part of the outcome, a greater impact on the outcome, better way of phrasing that, than the coaches in the other three major sports, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. It's not to diminish the importance of strong leadership in those other sports, but Yeah, X's and O's and understanding your talent and what they do well and maybe what they do not do as well is of paramount importance in football where you play a relative handful of games and you gear up all week long, six days for one day. All the other sports are different. You know, NBA, NHL, busy week, you play four games that week. Major League Baseball, we know, virtually plays every day. I believe in sports, we try to credit coaches too much, quite frankly. This guy's great. That guy's great. You know you know who's a great coach? When you have great talent. And, and that works that way in football also. But I do believe, as I stated a moment ago, coaches in football can have a greater impact on the outcome. And in this case, the Broncos were not good offensively a year ago, but they didn't have Russell Wilson. And I don't think Russell Wilson just flat out washed up that they they got a lemon all of a sudden after, you know, 10 terrific years in Seattle. I don't buy that. And so if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And that's why all the fingers are pointing right now at Nathaniel Hackett. Don't know him from afar, really likable, seems to be creative, but it hasn't played out yet. It has not played out yet. And I, and it takes me to another subject when it comes to coaching and how we hire coaches. I think of Mike Tomlin, who's had almost an unprecedented run of success, 15 years as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the youngest guys to be hired as a head coach. He was 36. And in those 15 years, they've never had a losing season. Now, they may very well have a losing season this year. I've seen Pittsburgh play. They're not very good. They're, they're starting to break in their first round pick, Kenny Pickett. But typically, they're always competitive. And you say, well, what about Mike Tomlin, man? He's a great leader. I love listening to Mike Tomlin's post-game comments. I mean, there's no question who runs that show in Pittsburgh, right? Nobody would ever question the leadership of Mike Tomlin. But you don't talk about Mike Tomlin and go, yeah, he's, he's one of the great X's and O's guys. It doesn't matter. Nobody nobody has the, the market cornered on how to, how to move guys around and how to be creative offensively or how to be creative defensively. Everything's a copycat situation now in sports. If one team has success, you know, eating fried tomatoes before a ball game and they win a championship, the next year, every team in the league's going to eat fried tomatoes before a ball game. I mean, that's how sports works. But in the case of Mike Tomlin, he wasn't this long time, well thought of, offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, and and he comes from a team that just won the Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin, for one year, was the defensive coordinator with Minnesota. He interviewed for the Steelers' head coaching job, and evidently, he blew them away. And evidently, as we know now, fast-forwarding, they made the right choice. Why am I talking about Mike Tomlin here and comparing him in some ways to Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett obviously won the interview process. But he came from Green Bay, right? Most recently. He was working with the great Aaron Rodgers. Come on, man. Aaron Rodgers. What I say earlier? It's about the players. Aaron Rodgers is a great friggin' player. We know that. He's one of the all-time great quarterbacks. So just because you're in the same room with Aaron Rodgers and he kind of gives you the stamp of approval... That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the next great head coach. doesn't necessarily mean you won't be. But you know it's possible that there's a position coach on a shitty team out there in the NFL that may be a wonderful leader, that may be able to push the right buttons, have the right charisma, understand the talent that one inherits, And how to put them in the best possible position to be successful on Sundays does not have to come from the winningest team or from the QB coach or the offensive coordinator for the number one offense or from a future Hall of Famer. doesn't have to work that way. And that's why I used, again, Mike Tomlin as an example. All about talent, man. I laugh when when people, you know, the Yankees went down and, and being from New York, when the Yankees lose, I mean, they want to close everything down. It was going to be a, a holiday for 24 hours. So we can figure out what the hell happened with the Yankees. Fire Brian Cashman, fire Aaron Boone. Well, Brian Cashman's won championships. It's been a while. Understand that. Do you really think you can come up with another manager and say, well, if he was at the helm or she was at the helm of the New York Yankees, they would have been the American League champs and they'd be in front of Houston playing for a world championship. No, because if you're sane and you observe the sport, you say they're deficient in a number of areas and they were missing, in fairness, DJ LeMayhew, big omission. They're not as good. They don't have... They don't have the same players. They have some great players, but they don't have this. If you line them up, you take the Houston Astros roster every time. That doesn't guarantee you, especially in baseball, that you're going to win anything because we know the hot team wins. There's probably better rosters than what Philly has, but Philly's representing the National League. My point is, especially when it comes to a team failing, we always want to say it's the, it's the, the leader's fault. Sometimes there is plenty of fault. Right now, I think there is plenty of fault that lies at the feet of Nathaniel Hackett in football, but in some of these other sports, come on, man, they're just short on talent. Players win. At the end of the day, players win. I'll finish this little diatribe with this thought that I've had many times, and I've espoused it at different (laughs) times over the years. Phil Jackson's a Hall of Fame coach, and, and he deserves that. Won championships with the Bulls, won championships with the Lakers. What if he didn't win any championships when he had Kobe and Shaq? When he had Michael and Scotty? What would we say then? He's an abject failure, right? Because if you have Michael and Scotty and Horace Grant and you know Rodman and all the Ku Coach and all the guys that he had, you better sure as shit win. Same thing as when he had Kobe and Shaq. Most dominant big man, most, you know, one of them. Two most dominant guards in the game at that point in time. You have to win, so we celebrate him as a coach. But what is it about? It's about the talent you have. It's about the talent you have. That's why when people come up and and you know on occasion say you know Rockies need to need to make a change with Buddy Black. No, they don't. Buddy Black's Buddy Black is sharp. Buddy Black is really well respected in the clubhouse. And there are times you do have to make a change because the players don't trust you and I don't know if that's happened in the Broncos locker room right now to make an analogy but in the case of, of buddy the Rockies don't have a roster that is robust enough in talent to win regularly has nothing to do with buddy black all right'm off that soapbox hey another note on the Broncos just uh doing some more research on on where they are and where they've been we know the defense is good the defense has been really good Defense deserves to have the record flipped. That's how, at times, dominant they've been on that side of the ball. And the reason it is particularly frustrating looking at where they are offensively, number one, you you spend all the money on Russell Wilson and he has not played well. Right now he's out. And you say, well, why is that? Are they just really poor in other areas? Going into the season, that wide receiver room was looked upon as one of the best in football. In fact, in late August, USA Today did an expose on ranking the top wide receiver groups in the NFL. And they did one through 32. Do you realize that the Broncos were rated fourth? Now, I know they lost Tim Patrick, but they were ranked as the fourth best wide receiver room in the NFL. And I and I know Garrett Bowles went down on the offensive line, but the offensive line was thought to be solid. And so... When you look at it and say they've made, they've regressed offensively, that's another reason why, you know, fingers point at the guy who's not only the leader of that locker room on paper, Nathaniel Hackett, but the leader of the offense in, in terms of X's and O's, in terms of designing things to take best advantage of the talent that you have. Broncos were 23rd in touchdowns last year, scored 23rd, not good, bad. This year, they're last. They're last. You know all that stuff. All right. Moving on now to our uh, interview of the week. Tom McCarthy, celebrated longtime sports uh, broadcaster, play-by-play guy for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Good man as well. He, and as I said earlier, he does uh, a lot of football for CBS, basketball as well. And he's doing some radio stuff um, now in the postseason for the Phils. Uh, going forward, and uh, we have a great conversation about uh, Philadelphia and uh, that city and how excited they are for the fighting Phils. Tom McCarthy. All right, I got to ask you, um, first of all, you didn't climb a light pole outside. There's no no shots of you on Broad Street that are going to get you in trouble and compromise your
1: great career, are there? No, nothing like that. I mean, um, I will say pulling out of the ballpark last night, after the uh, after the, the Phillies clinched on Sunday, I was shocked with how many people were still there. <laughs> I mean, we had you know we had a, a sort of a party at the front office with the players and everything like that, and we were there for about an hour and a half after all the celebration and everything. Like, and there were still a ton of people outside the ballpark. The city is, as you know, Drew. It's an amazing city. It really is. And when they latch on, they latch on, and they don't let go. I, I love it. Yeah,
0: I, I love the city of Philadelphia. You know I'm from the Northeast. You know, you know, in New York, Philly, there, there's a toughness and an appreciation for sports and a passion for sports. I'm not saying it doesn't exist in other cities, but it's different. And, yes, we have that, that Northeast bias perhaps to our opinion. But I love when I'm in Philly um, – Talking about the fact that you know years ago they booed Santa, so that tells you everything you need to know about Philly fans, right?
1: Well, how about this? So uh, the other night, and, and and Philly fans, it drives them crazy that people bring up the booing of Santa and the you know throwing snowballs and stuff like that. The other night, they put a video of like Charlie Manuel was at the ballpark. They put him up there. People roared, you know, like they would with Charlie. Sure. Then they they put somebody was dressed as Santa Claus. So they put him up there and they roared like you know it was so funny. It was really yeah. it was very Philadelphia like.
0: Yeah, that, it was awesome. And and I have to tell you, it's the beauty of of baseball. Um, you've been in it a long time, like me. You know, you you have kids that played college baseball and 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 you love every aspect of it. But you also know. That just because a team, in the case of big league baseball, won a hundred plus games, and another team maybe just kind of—I don't want to say stumbled in. Philly didn't stumble in, but you know we're the last one to get in. That means nothing. It has a form of March Madness to it, yeah. and yeah. and you can't deny that.
1: Can't deny it. I said the other day uh, when the Phillies and the Padres were meeting, I said. The number 13 and 15 seeds have advanced to the Sweet 16, I said. And America, I hope, embraces it. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same concept. And I don't know. I know I'm on the, the end of winning, so I may not look at it objectively. But I've enjoyed the postseason. I enjoyed the Padres knocking off the Dodgers and the Mets first. I just enjoyed it from a baseball standpoint because it, it just makes it, It it doesn't, it doesn't, um, delegitimize the regular season, although some people think it does. But I do think that it, in a small series, it kind of brings the smaller parts of the team into the, into the mix a little bit and the success of those small parts. Um, and it also, I'm telling you, again, I'm not totally objective on it. I admit that. Our guy is, our manager has done an unbelievable job, unbelievable job of managing this team.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Tom, because I, I can't remember the last time you know how the season goes. You're hearing it and you can't remember where you were two days ago. Um and I think I think the first time we played you, you know, Joe was still there, and then maybe the second time Thompson had taken over. This is not by far groundbreaking stuff. When a manager, especially if a team that was had high, you know, expectations, gets removed, uh, can we make too much of it? The fact that Thompson took over for Girardi is it unfair to Joe to say, yeah, they wouldn't be in this situation if Joe Girardi, who's an accomplished manager, was still on the top step?
1: Well, I think it is unfair to Joe because I still think it's about the players. I really do. But I also do believe that the personality of Rob Thompson, even though he and Joe have been friends for 25 years, the personality of Rob Thompson is different than the personality of Joe Girardi. Whereas Joe is very intense, he is very um, he, he he's very hands on on a lot of things. Now Rob is also, but in a different way. There's a there's a flow to him. That's totally different. There's a vibe that he lets off that's totally different. And I do think it allowed the clubhouse to establish the personality that the clubhouse wanted to establish. You know, there's no micromanaging. And again, I don't, I, I will never knock Joe Girardi. He's a friend. I talked to him last night. I told him, I said, you know, you have a piece of this, whether you realize it or not. And he appreciated that. And he did because we needed him. When we hired him, we were a rudderless ship and we needed to have a guy that could come in and build the foundation back. And that's exactly what Joe did. So the personality of Rob is different. It's definitely different.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've always admired Joe and and remember when he was a Rocky, of course. And, uh, you know, he, he's he's a tough guy and, and he's demanding uh, but even for a guy as as mature and as bright as Joe, it, it's got to be somewhat bittersweet. Did you get a feel f- for how he felt?
1: No, it was more uh, it was more text exchanges, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it, he's he's extremely excited for his friend sure. and for the organization. But I'm sure he's thinking, man, that could have been me. Yeah. And in all honesty, you know, I mean, it could have been him. It is about the players, but I do think that that Rob has allowed them to just let their personalities develop, and Rob's also done a really good job of letting the uh, the youngsters, the rookies, fail and keep playing. And I don't know if Joe would have done that as well. Uh, and it's not a knock; I just think it's a it's just of the way he is.
0: Yeah, that's understandable. All right, I got to segue to. What will go down, I'll let you put this, you know, wherever it lies in the pantheon of great Philadelphia, not just Philly moments, but Philadelphia sports moments, and God knows there's been a lot, um, and I know it's it's less than 24 hours, so it hasn't completely resonated, but when Bryce takes that 2-2 pitch over the left field wall, what was your reaction And now as you've had time to let it simmer a little bit, um, how would you in some way sum it up?
1: Well, you and I have talked about this, and I think we're in agreement. Um, I like Bryce Harper a lot, and I think he's meant the world to the city. I love his competitiveness. Uh, He's interactive with us as broadcasters. And as you and I both know, when your superstar is interactive, uh, it makes a lot of things in our life easier. that was as big a home run, as big, as, as big a hit, as big of an event that the city has seen in, in the sports world in a long time and in the history of it. Because it's only happened like four or five times where that late in the game, baseball game, a home run decides the baseball game in the postseason. And it happened, I believe it was, uh, this is true, on the anniversary of Joe Carter's home run against the Phillies in 1993. So, um your stars generally for the most part they're the ones you rely on in big situations. They don't always come through. Um he came through and he's come through in this postseason. I mean it's been unbelievable. Two balls, two strikes to Bryce Harper. Suarez
0: delivers. Swing and a drive, left field. It's deep. It's gone. Yes. And it is gone. yes. Yes! At the bank, as Bryce Harper has put the Phillies on top. Are
1: you kidding me? Oh. The reaction, the energy, uh, how kinetic it was—it was, uh, it was it, it's up there as one of the brightest moments that I've ever seen in Philadelphia.
0: It, it was Reggie-esque to to a certain degree, wasn't it?
1: There, it, it was. It, it, it was. Um, it was in our in our world, Rollins-like on the. The triple or the double he hit, triple he hit against the Dodgers against Jonathan Broxton back in, I think it was 09 where he helped lift the Phillies to the, to the World Series for a second time. It was the Matt Stairs home run against the Dodgers, you know, out at, you know, out at, out in Los Angeles against Broxton in 08 that helped get them to the postseason. Um, you know, everybody loves the Denny Doyle and Kirk Babakwa moments of the postseason, but, it's really cool when you start when you star like Reggie Jackson or Bryce Harper, when they put those 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 moments together.
0: I find him amazing. And, and I'm glad you referenced because I know you and I privately have talked. I, I, you know, you see him all the time. But Bryce has always been one of those guys that I think intimidates a lot of our brethren in the media and. And for whatever, and and you and I are a lot alike. We don't, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but, you know, people are people. I don't give a shit what you did. You know, you put your shoes on the same way I do. You you just happen to be really gifted at, at playing a sport, whatever. But I've always been able to you know, have good conversations with him. And I shared that with you and you said, yeah, right on the money. I mean, he's a good dude. I'll give you another guy who's a good dude who, who I think people initially are intimidated by and that's Manny Machado. And I respect the hell out of both those guys, Matt, because he, they post up every single day, not to mention they're great.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know what they hear all the time? Uh, overrated or yeah. you, or you suck. Yeah, uh, listen, Maddie heard it this whole weekend in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but they 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 hear it and then they just play. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's uh, I I talked to Bryce's parents on Sunday night after the game, and I you kind of get a feel for who the guy is from talking to their parents, and you want to talk talk about down to earth people, uh, appreciative people, grateful people. Yeah. That's it's where it comes from. And the other thing too, Drew, is that a lot of today's players don't really understand the history of this game. Well, Price does. He gets the whole thing. He gets everything about it. He loves it. He embraces it. And we had him on for six innings one night um, when he was injured. And I'm telling you, he's going to do this when his when his career's over. He's going to have all the money in the world. But he's going to do this at some level, be a broadcaster.
0: Yeah, I bet you'll be damn good at it. The other other thing that that I marvel at, and I'm going to make, and I'm sure you've probably done this on the air, again, because you you do his games every single day, is make the comparison to LeBron James. And you know where I'm going with this. I mean, they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated as middle teenagers. And they lived up to that ridiculous Ridiculous billing, right? I mean, Bryce Harper is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. If, if he hasn't already sewn up, you know, if God forbid his career had to end tomorrow. And we know LeBron James is going to go down as one of the two or three or four greatest players ever. But can you imagine? They didn't have, they had pressure that no one's ever had. And they've lived up to it. And in, in the case of Bryce Harper in a sport that is so Brutal on you. Look at C. Aaron Judge, one of the great regular seasons ever, and he, you know, he he was a non-factor in the postseason.
1: Yeah, he was immortal. He was more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and for Bryce, I mean, he's better the postseason with the Nationals, but they didn't they didn't advance. So and then he had to come to Philadelphia and he watched the Nationals win the World Championship, handled it unbelievably, um, congratulated all of his friends, all of his teammates, former teammates. But now he gets a chance to go back to the World Series and, quite frankly, in a city that he has embraced because of the personality that he has. And he fits the personality. We were asked this week about the Machado-Harper, you know, relationship because they both were drafted the same year. They both played on Team USA. Uh, they're both friends. Machado introduced Harper to Empanadas, which he's really appreciative of. Um I was asked by a lot of people, including out in San Diego, they said, what if it was the opposite? And I said, who do you think's got the better of the deal? And I said, well, they both have. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, the Phillies got Bryce Harper, and he fits our city. I said, the Padres got Manny Machado, and he fits San Diego. Do I think it would have worked vice versa? I think it would have. Harper would have been perfectly fine in San Diego. Could Manny have handled the Philadelphia? Probably, but it worked out perfectly for both cities. They got the guy that they should have gotten and the personality to fit that fit that city.
0: Yeah, that's well put. And and he does. I mean, there's there's a toughness to to Bryce Harper that you know that that matches Philadelphia, matches you know South Jersey. Uh, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really yes. fair analogy. How about, you know, you have an interesting, um, you know, we'll have an interesting view on this because you worked on the Mets side also and and obviously, you know, you're from that part of the country as we talked about. The fact that Zach Wheeler was a Met and now the, the Mets, great regular season, great talent, but they were eliminated by the Padres and Zach Wheeler steps to the forefront just 90 miles
1: away. Yeah, I, I, and it's not – it's not lost on anybody that he left New York. Um, I don't want to say in a in a huff, but he remembered the fact that when he was hurt, I think it was 2015 when the Mets were in the postseason, that he wasn't invited to the postseason games. That they said if you want to come, yeah, we'll we'll sell you some tickets, and that wasn't lost on him. Uh, I told his father on Sunday, and I truly believe this that the Wheeler signing. Will go down in the last 30 years of Phillies free agent signings as one of the top five signings by the organization, because as you know, Drew, he was really good with the Mets. Well, he's a Cy Young candidate every year with the Phillies, at least he has been, and should have won it last year, quite frankly. Um, so it's it, it's really cool. I'm proud of him. I told him that, and I'm I'm excited that his legacy. Potentially, and, I, and Rob hasn't announced this yet, but potentially will include a Game One starter in the World Series against Justin Verlander.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what I'm pleased about, and uh, uh, the fact that there is a little bit of a break. And each team can set up as it should be in the World Series can truly set up their rotation. Whereas if oh, the, you know the National Series went for another several days, and now it's you know it's a one versus a three or, or whatever the case may be, I think I think that's the way it should be.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll say the same thing I said with the the series against the Padres: games game splitting in in Houston is going to be huge for the Phillies. But games three and four are going to be the key because you have your aces going in one and two, but then in three, you've got McCullers against Ranger. At least I think that's what it's going to be. And then you have probably a bullpen game for the Phillies, unfortunately, um, against whoever the four starter is for, uh, for Houston. But I think it's all set up perfectly. Now, listen, will people in Southern California be interested in watching the Astros and the Phillies? I don't know. Uh, but I do think from a baseball standpoint, there's a crispness that will be part of this, the way it's set up. The Astros are really good. In fact, I walked away from that series at the end of the year thinking, man, this is the best team I've seen in a long time. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, but it's going mean, to be an enjoyable challenge.
0: You know what I forgot, Tom, is, is yesterday in watching the postgame celebration for the Astros in, in the Bronx – I saw Michael Brantley go over and give a hug to Dusty Baker and it stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, shit, they're doing this without Brantley for me. And I'm like, for me, Brantley's one of, honestly, he's one of the top 15 hitters in all of baseball. I mean, he can flat out rake and he's not even in their lineup right now.
1: Yep, absolutely. And, And it's a huge void because he gives them a dimension that they probably don't have. But they're... They are really good. I mean, the Alvarez, that Alvarez guy, have you stood next to him, Drew?
0: He's a, well, you know, I stand next to everybody and they look like King Kong. So, I mean, (laughs) but he's a freak, isn't he? He's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: and and Dusty Baker mentioning Willie McCovey's name in reference to him. It's not, I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer right now, but he's built like Willie McCovey. There's no doubt he's built like Willie McCovey.
0: Yeah, and for people who don't know, and I think the rest of the country will learn this, he's not just your prototypical uh, this-generation slugger who punches out a million times and can hit the ball you know, 500 feet. He's a good hitter.
1: Oh, he's a good hitter, yeah. Yep. He, he's a good hitter to the point where he'll go the other way, and he's got enough pop that it goes out of the yard. Or if it's a double left center field, he's fine with that.
0: Yeah. And by the way, on stature, I just like to hang out with uh, with the second baseman. I hang out with Altuve. That's my guy. All right.
1: Well, there won't be any means uh, with you at those at all. So.
0: No, exactly. Yeah. No, none, of, none of that. I always tell him, I go, I'll post your little ass up, man. So uh, you got that. Yeah. Um, w- in this in this matchup, the other thing and and I think I can make this comparison, I'm sure maybe you guys have already. Atlanta won eighty eight games last year and they kinda of were an afterthought and then they were the last one standing. You guys win eighty seven games this year. But one of the I think fair analogies is there was star power with Freddie Freeman, with a, a rising star like Austin Riley, like Ozzy Albies. There were stars on Atlanta that were baseball household names. And it's the same thing for you guys in Philadelphia. It's not like who that, you know, it's not like the Miami Marlins back in the day and you're trying to figure out who's on their roster. I mean, Philadelphia has a lot of big names.
1: Yeah, the, the, they do. And, and the thing about it is, um, what they did in this series against the, the Padres is how they're built. It's the way they're built. This is what they're built for, is to be able to do this. Um yeah, the Schwarbers, who's really been an amazing pickup. Uh the Real Muto who's been unbelievable since the All Star break and one of the best catcher and probably the best catcher at baseball. Um, you know, these guys have they there is star power. There's no doubt about it. There is star power. And they're For some of them, like Real Muto, he's never been in the postseason. So this is awesome for him. Like, he's enjoying the hell out of it. For Wheeler, never been in the postseason. For Nola, never been in the postseason. So they're kind of embracing that opportunity to be in it for the first time.
0: Yeah, hey, real quick thought on Kyle Schwarber. I was hoping the Rockies, when he was a free agent last year, I was hoping, because I knew the Rockies were in the market for an outfielder, for a big bat, and I know they flirted with... With Schwarber, and ultimately, as we know, he signs with Philadelphia. This is a first-class dude, man. I, I I can't say enough good things about him, and, and I imagine as you've gotten to know him this year, you you're like this this is what you want in a guy that shows up every day.
1: He I I, I say to one of my buddies from the Red Sox, I said you guys are crazy not to resign him. He's he's got a football player mentality, and it's in a it's in a baseball clubhouse. So we have all these young kids, the Bryson Stotts, the Matt Veerlings, um, the Garrett Stubbs, all these people that have, you know, a very small amount of uh, baseball, major league baseball experience. And he's embraced them and made them feel comfortable, and that's part of the reason why I think we've been successful. He's hes tremendous. I saw him yesterday at, on the field. I am doing some interviews for Fanavision uh, for our fans. and But he makes it a point. He knows your name. He addresses you like you're part of his family. Um, he was really excited about Joe Burrow's day on Sunday with the Bengals. Um, yeah, he's he's the real deal, man. He's the real he's the real deal when it comes to clubhouse atmosphere.
0: Usually, uh, about once a series when the Rockies are playing the Phillies, and he's walking to the plate, I'll say, "Here comes the Mike linebacker."
1: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's right? exactly right. That is exactly. Right. It's funny too because he uh, we saw a picture of him as a as a high school player. He was so like he was trim, and you wouldn't have thought that. Now you definitely look at, look at that and say, "Yes, that's the Mike linebacker." <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm telling you, he he he's amazing. You know, it did conjure up memories. Um, you know, for me, when the Rockies back in that run where it seemed like every other year they were matching up with you guys in the postseason, um, and, and it just, it, I again can understand how magical a time this is in Philadelphia and what a great, uh, you know, 10, 12, however long it takes, but uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a wild ride. G- give, me, give me a couple of reasons as to why Philadelphia is the last one standing.
1: Well, I think that they, there was so much pressure on them to get to the postseason that once they got there, they became what they should have been. They were relaxed. Um, and, and I think that's a huge part of this. Uh, I do think that our fan base, I mean, Drew, it, it's, I mean, I know you guys were here in 07, but they had just been in the genesis of figuring out how to be a fan base in this ballpark, backing this team. They are. It is flat-out deafening at this yard when they're playing. I think they've they've kind of lifted the players up. Um, But I also think that they've ridden the the horses. Nola didn't have a great start in Game game 2 against the Padres, but Wheeler and Nola have helped sort of lay the foundation for what is right in the postseason for a starting rotation. So, you know, I think it's that. I think they're playing relaxed. They're hitting home runs. Uh, They're playing average defense, but their offense is overcoming it, and I think their starting pitching has been, you know, really um, helping to carry this team in these first few rounds.
0: And I'm sure some of the narrative will be picking up on your thought from a national perspective that, you know, Philadelphia is playing with house money. You know, whether that's fair, whether that's accurate, um, it, it, it certainly should make them, as you suggest, pretty relaxed.
1: I think so. It, it, that I mean, just from watching them and knowing them, the clubhouse is exactly the same as it was, but now they're, I mean, they're keeping the routine the same, but they definitely look different on the field. I'm telling you, and, and because, you know, we both grew up in the Northeast and particularly Philadelphia, getting that 11 year thing off their back, even though they weren't part of it, although Reese was and Nola was, that was a huge deal. There was no September collapse. And I think once they got that off, there was no looking back.
0: Yeah. Hey, quickly before I let you fly, Tom, I really appreciate the time. From, um, you know, you and I do the same thing for a living, and and I like when you know you can have a moment to talk shop. Do you have a? Broadcasting philosophy. When when young when a young person, I know you mentored a, a lot of people, and you get phone calls as I do, and you ha- try to help out, you know, the next generation, um, and some of which is in, within your family, because I know your your son Patrick. By the way, congratulations on his wedding over the weekend. But uh, you know, he's going to be in the big leagues in the not too distant future, pretty clearly. Uh, but do you what? How do you answer that question? My broadcasting philosophy is
1: to yourself. Uh, because you can't be Drew Goodman. You can't be Tom McCarthy. You can't be Harry Callis. You have to be yourself because you cannot go on the air for three and a half hours and be somebody that you're not. Um, and I also try to tell guys and gals to be patient. You know, I know many people and I was this way at 26 think they should be in the big leagues, but there's a, there's a, a rhythm to being a broadcaster and, The more you do on the minor league level with baseball in particular, the better you will be when you get your opportunities in the big leagues. So I think let your personality evolve. Don't be somebody else. Don't sound, don't try to sound like John Miller because he, there's only one. Um, just sound like Billy Smith because there's no reason why that can't work. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing I try to tell folks. And just to be patient and just get your innings in. Get your innings in. Get your time behind the microphone. Because if you get there too early, people will understand, because they're smart, that you may not be ready to be there that early.
0: Yeah. You know, it's wild. I I had never asked you that. And I say almost verbatim the same thing. And my way of describing it is very similar to yours. I said, you have to be you. And... It shouldn't be a grand departure from who you are when you're walking around town, when you get on the air. Yeah, yes, you're you're performing a little bit and you understand you're going to project a little bit more, those sorts of things. But you have to be yourself uh, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day. And the other analogy, I always make it because, again, you and I have, uh, you know, background and we weren't good enough to play it, you know, at this level, but it's about reps. If you and I take, you know, if if we go out to shortstop and I take 25 ground balls and call it a day and you take 250, you're going to be a better fielder than I am if, if our talent levels the same. It's the same thing with broadcasting. Get your reps, man.
1: Get your reps. And I always tell high school kids, they say, well, what can I do now? I said, get behind a microphone. You know, be a PA announcer. Um, take a speech class. Be comfortable in front of 10 and be comfortable in front of 100. You know, be comfortable... I said, I can go out and speak in front of 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 people right now, uh, but I can't tell you that I could have done that in high school. So take a speech class. You know, Get in front of people to establish your personality.
0: That's awesome. Hey, uh, in addition to the Phillies, you got some football coming up?
1: Well, right now it's on hold. I was supposed to go to London uh, to do uh, radio next weekend, but obviously that's, uh, that's been put on hold because of the Phillies, thankfully. Um, So then my next game is scheduled to be November, I think, the weekend of the 12th. That will be an SDC game on CBS, so uh, a little college football.
0: Good deal. Good for you. I thought when you said you were going over to London, I thought maybe you were going to be the next prime minister. I didn't realize. <laughs>
1: that is up in the air, but I, uh, uh, my thought is that that's going, to be, that's going to be established before I would have gotten there. But that would have been cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, the, if listen, if the timing was different, if the Phillies didn't screw it up for you, perhaps, right?
1: Yeah, perhaps.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, first of all, congrats uh, for, for your fills. Continued success uh, in, in your terrific broadcasting career. Congrats on your son again getting uh, – getting uh, wet over the weekend, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm looking forward to that World Series. It's going to be a lot of fun. All
1: right, thanks, Drew. I appreciate it, buddy.
0: Hey, big thanks to uh, Tom McCarthy, and I'm looking forward to this World Series. I think it's going to be a really good one. Philadelphia is the hot team, right? Houston's the hot team that's really, really good. Not saying the Phillies aren't. But, you know, everybody's going to favor uh, Houston, and I think this um, has a possibility to be um, a longer series and a really competitive series, and hopefully it brings, uh, you know, some extraordinary moments, more great moments like we saw the one that Bryce Harper had in the eighth inning earlier when um, – Jordan Alvarez hit the home run earlier in the postseason to turn a, a defeat against uh, a certain defeat against Seattle into a walk off victory against Robbie Ray. So hopefully there's a lot more of that to come in the Fall Classic between Houston and Philadelphia. Before we get on out of here, I want to talk Avalanche really quickly. You know I love the Abs. You know I'm excited about uh, seeing if the Avs can repeat. Um, I I thought we saw a defining moment going forward for the 22-23 Avalanche. And it came at the storied arena, one I went to growing up, Madison Square Garden, this past week, when the Avs skated against the Rangers, who are a terrific team. Remember, the the Rangers were were in the East Final just a few months ago. And returning to the Garden was Georgi Georgiev, who was the backup to Shesterkin the last couple of years. And we know how great Shesterkin is, right? Well, they played a terrific playoff-level hockey game on Tuesday night at the Garden. The Avalanche were flying up and down the ice. The Rangers were flying up and down the ice. Both teams had over 40 shots on goal not not great for you know for either coach you know when they break down the film you don't want to see that many scoring opportunities and shots on goal but it was fun hockey as i said it was playoff level hockey and Georgiev who i thought in his previous game in Las Vegas against the the Golden Knights played his best game as an av he hasn't played many games, you know, we're, we're into the, you know, his first couple of weeks of the season, basically, but I thought he he played a really good game against Vegas, and then he goes to the Garden, and he knows that there's going to be, you know, a lot of self-motivation, he's back playing the Rangers, he, he was never given the opportunity to be the number one guy, he was backing up arguably the best goaltender in the world in Shesterkin, and he came out And he had a tremendous performance, culminating in winning in the shootout. And he like kind of leapt out of his goal when uh, Evan Rodriguez scored, and he got the save ultimately uh, to win that hockey game in overtime for the Avalanche. I thought it was a defining early season moment, not only for Georgiev, but for the Avalanche going forward. Because... Yeah, they they lost, you know, some guys, Nas Kadri obviously gets the most attention, but you also lost Darcy Kemper. They made a decision for financial reasons that after winning the cup with the veteran Kemper, they were gonna move on. And the guy that they handpicked, basically, was Georgi Georgiev. And I think this was the moment where Everyone in that room could look upon him and say, "Yeah, he can play. He can backstop another great run for a Stanley Cup." And honestly, when we are looking at them in in March and April, and the process begins to defend the cup, I think people will talk about and look back at the game he had at Madison Square Garden in. The third week of October as his coming out party when he fully established himself. It's not to say he's not going to have some rough moments along the way, but when he established himself as a guy that you can win a cup with, that we, we have, we have a number one goaltender, that he can make the great save, that he can help out if there's a breakdown and keep a club in a hockey game when things are tight. So I want to make mention of that. Congrats to the Avs, 2-0 so far on the road trip, but that was uh that was a, a great night for Georgiev and again even more special for him going back to New York and uh, and winning that hockey game in a shootout. That'll do it for this edition. Uh, the Drew Goodman Podcast, we appreciate you. Appreciate uh, you telling uh, friends and foes about what we do here. And guess what? We'll do it again in seven days. Thanks to uh, to my sponsors. Thanks to my man, Marky. And uh, thanks again to Tom McCarthy for joining me uh, this week. Stay safe, stay well. Talk to you soon.